Thank you for tuning in to Our Black Voices Matter. We can't remain silent. We must speak up. So let the conversation begin. Hello, everyone. My name is Lawrence Hunter. I am a retired police captain from the state of Connecticut. I currently host a podcast called Captain Hunter's Podcast. Uh, I want to thank Brother Snyder for having me on the podcast to talk about something that I really think is very important, and that is the trauma that we as African-Americans have faced uh, throughout the years and any anxiety uh, that we have experienced based on this trauma, based on uh, our years of experience of, of oppression, even if we have not experienced it ourselves, we know that many times in many situations that simply watching it on the TV or on YouTube or in various videos that we come in contact with, that there's a vicarious type of trauma that we are faced with. So I want, really wanted to talk about that. And I want to thank him again for allowing me to be on it. Now, I come from a particular special place in that I was a police officer. I was a police captain. I was a police captain when I retired. And of course, I've been black all my life. So I have a unique perspective of being black and blue. So Brother Snyder gave us a couple of topics that um, that we wanted to talk about. And I, and I really wanted to kind of hit on all three of these and just kind of give my my thoughts about uh, where we are with this. And so as I record this, we're dealing with the coronavirus and we're dealing with uh, the protests following the death of George Floyd. I think it's very, very important to understand that the protests that are going on are not simply about George Floyd. They're about Breonna Taylor. They're about Tiana Jefferson. They're about Sandra Bland. They're about Tamir Rice. They're about Alton Sterling. They're about Eric Garner, Tamir Rice, uh, uh, Philando Castile and the list goes on and on and on. And I think, and not only with the deaths of these particular individuals, but as I record this, many people will remember the different Karens that are going on. And the most recent was the Central Park Karen who amped up her voice and played up the, the, for the audience, uh, the 911 audience, uh, that she was under threat and attack by an African American. So I think that we really have to understand what's, what's happened to African Americans throughout history. And come once again, coming from a black police officer perspective, I've had to live with and deal with and work with, uh, individuals who don't see my perspective, who don't understand what it's like to be, to be black. Um, I, if you can remember, uh, when Trayvon Martin was killed, then former president Barack Obama stated that it could have been him or it could have been his son. And so I can remember the amount of backlash that he got over those type of comments, of course, from ridiculous extreme right wing conservatives uh, who just don't want to see or who don't see uh, our plight and don't understand. But I can almost guarantee you that they hear us now and they that they understand uh, the plight and the energy and the anxiety and the grief and the struggle and the pain that we have dealt with and have been dealing with for all these years. So uh, let me get back to the point here. Brother Keith uh, gave us uh, three different topics, and I'm going to try to hit every one of these in a brief amount of time. The first topic he gave us was the paranoia we as Blacks live with every day, and why do we have this paranoia? 
well, we have this paranoia because of the things that have happened to, to us, to our parents, to our grandparents, to our uncles, and the stories that we have heard. To, in 2020, I can seriously doubt that many persons have really, really experienced any type of racism. And by that, I mean structural racism, right? We have the right to vote. We have the right to to basically drive down the street. Now, I'm not saying that people aren't stopped because they're, because they're black. I'm not saying that people don't uh, experience some type of voter suppression and all that kind of stuff. But in comparison to what our ancestors uh, dealt with in the 60s and the 50s and the 40s, uh, we have to admit that we have it pretty good. But that does not mean that we do not have some type of pain and some type of struggle and do not empathize and sympathize when we see viral videos going on. So the paranoia that we live with every day is once again being stopped by the police, followed around in stores, uh, having the police called on us when we're bird watching in Central Park, having the police called on us when we're barbecuing or sleeping in a dorm room or trying to check out of a Airbnb. And once again, the list of that kind of oppression goes on and on. So this is the anxiety. And I believe that many people now understand that when the police are called in those seemingly silly situations, that it can be a life or death situation, depending upon, you know, how, how the incident goes with officers. Now, there's a lot that can be said about the, the level of resistance and all that kind of stuff. Um, but nevertheless, this paranoia that goes on in our minds and anxiety that goes on in our minds is very real. I face it as a police officer myself. I mean, I drove on the highway and if I drove by a state trooper, uh, I, you know, I would look in my rearview mirror and see if that trooper is now behind me and everything like that. Now, as a police officer, um, I would have that luxury of saying, Hey, listen, I'm on the job. And when I was stopped, I'm going to be very honest. I would say, listen, I'm on the job and, you know, I would get a warning. And, you know, there were times when my family members were stopped and they would say, listen, my, I have a father who's a police officer or, you know, my husband's a police officer you know, et cetera. But that, that does not take away from the fact that we had this paranoia and it did not take away from the fact that I had paranoia when I, when I experienced this. What I do think that white Americans have a level of butterflies that goes on in their stomach when they drive by a police officer, I, I would almost guarantee that it's nowhere near to the level that is experienced when African-Americans uh, deal with this or drive by one. The second topic that Brother Keith wanted us to talk about is the generational trauma caused by hundreds of years of inequality and how it's affecting our mental well-being. Uh, as I mentioned, I have a podcast called Captain Hunter's Podcast. I had a professional uh, on the, the show to talk about this two times, as a matter of fact. And the most recent time was after the killing of George Floyd and what African-Americans will feel, how we'll deal with how we'll experience this type of pain and trauma when we see the vicarious killing of, of a person or the killing of a person and how we experience it vicariously. Let me say it like that. So I think that it's very, very important that we understand this, that this has been going on. We, anyone who's quote unquote woke or who read history will understand the history of lynchings, will understand the history of Rosewood, uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, and many other cities in uh, towns and places in which the lynchings, the killings, uh, the overthrow of a government. I believe it was in Wilmington, uh, North Carolina, when racists overthrew the duly elected government there uh, of Wilmington, North Carolina. So once again, you know, this is the trauma that African-Americans have had to deal with uh, in those years of, of trauma and inequality. Uh, the inequality was inequality in housing, 
inequality and the ability to get loans. If you were able to buy a house, now you can't fix up your house because you can't get a loan. Inequality in the amount of resources that were given uh, to certain parts of town. Inequality and, of course, in the education system. So all of this plays a, diff- a, 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 a certain, uh, a definite and definitive role in the way that African-Americans view ourselves and the way that African-Americans uh, uh, have been segregated into ghettos, how, how we have internalized oppression, how we have dealt with it. And let me just go off a, a little bit and just talk about the, the fact that many African-Americans ha- have dealt with the, some of this pain and trauma by very uh, unhealthy means, right? Taking drugs, our health has been affected, you know, our rates of cancers, our rates of high blood pressure, of course, you know, with our food and comforting ourselves with food, but these foods have been extremely unhealthy towards us. Just a little bit more about myself. I had a triple bypass few a couple years back. When you go through that particular process, they ask you about your family history and they tell you all these different risk factors for have, having and developing uh, high blood pressure in um, clogged arteries, essentially. And so one of the one of the risk factors is just being black. Well, there's nothing inherently wrong with African-Americans, but it is our diet. It is our uh, pain and trauma that we know that we're dealing with, this pain and trauma that we that we are collectively walking around with. And that is some of the reasons and the, the reasons that we deal with cardiovascular disease and high blood pressure, et cetera, et cetera. So we have to really learn how to have good, productive means of dealing with this pain good productive means of tr- of getting rid of the trauma. And so I think that that is really the the emphasis that we should and must uh, go forward with when we're dealing with this type of thing. And so finally, Brother Keith wanted us to talk about our overall experience of being black in America and our constant fight for the lives in, of our children. When I saw George Floyd, when I saw Ahmaud Arbery, uh, I couldn't think of nothing more than my own children. I think of Breonna Taylor, Tatiana Jefferson, both gunned down in their homes um, by police officers who have a negative view of the particular communities that they go into, right? We can't, I cannot say that it was per- particularly racist, but what I can say is, is that they have a certain mindset, is that there is a certain mindset when officers enter into certain communities. And I can almost guarantee you in the case of Atatiana Jefferson, the police officers never would have rolled up on a more affluent uh, part of town and just shot through the windows. I cannot, I, I cannot imagine that being the case. Uh, I cannot imagine the case that any more of a fluent person uh, driving a, a better car uh, would have been stopped and the situation would have gone down the way that it did with Sandra Bland and her being asked to put out a cigarette. And then next thing you know, she's being escorted out of the car. These are the types of uh, aggressions that we have dealt with. And so um, so I am in solidarity with those who have that mindset. As far as my own experience, listen, I, I grew up in the, in the Northeast. I live in Connecticut currently. Uh, and I have not experienced anything. I mean, I mean, I've been called a nigger a few times, you know, what black person hasn't, uh, you know, while in uniform, I was called a nigger a couple of times. My being a police officer does not exempt me from the black experience that I and so many other uh, members of society have faced. So I, once again, I, I live in Connecticut, so I cannot say what goes on in Missouri, in Ferguson, Missouri, or in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota, or in Compton, California, or in Tampa Bay, Florida, um, 
but I believe the stories that I'm, that I'm hearing. I stand in solidarity. I stand with Black Lives Matter. I, I stand with members of society who are trying to make our society live up to its values that we say, particularly those of the U.S. Constitution. Uh, I'm with them on, on these matters. I have children. Uh, I'm still, you know, fairly young myself, even though I may not look at, I think, I think of myself as fairly young. I have children in their twenties and I'm concerned about their health and well-being. And if white Americans would listen to this and understand that they do not have those concerns, um, and they do not have, do not have to have that talk, then neither should African Americans. And so I think that if we can really understand where we're coming from now, now we're at a crossroads with these protests that are going on. Uh, we're at a crossroads and we can hear each other much more clearly and we can see the pain that many people are, are dealing with. I want to thank Brother Keith for giving me this platform. Uh, those are my experiences. I hope that I said something that was very influential and instrumental and that people can hear and remember being black in America has been a wild ride for for us. But we're making it, we're going through it, we're getting through it, and we're getting to it. We're making progress each and every day to be on equal footing uh, with our counterparts. And I hope that one day we will live in a world that really is colorblind and the dominant society, no matter what dominant society they are, that they would see the members of the lesser minority society and see their own children. Until we get to that point, then we will not have made it. But I think and believe that we're making progress. And I certainly hope that the protests that we tried to do so patiently and so quietly before by simply taking a knee, I hope that they really, really and truly hear us now.